0: We're going to start today by uh, playing a little game. Uh, we're going to rescue Leo the leopard. Uh, he's gone missing and we need to find him. So uh, I need six children to uh, volunteer to help me. Okay, we're going we're to have Scott be a child. Yeah, come on, Scott. Marcella, you can come on. Okay, here's the rules. You're going to choose one of these six flower pots, but don't look under it yet, okay? Dante, you can come. Uh, anyone over here want to come and help me? Don't choose one, but don't look under it. Okay, Ben, come forward. Who else do we have? You want to come forward? Yeah, cool. Remind me your name. Chloe. Good time to you here. Isaac, you can come forward. Okay, have we got six? So, uh, we, we need one of you to go the other side. Marcel, do you want to go the other side? Hey, Scott, you bumped to the end. I bumped to the end. <laughs> Uh, Isaac, why don't you come right here, okay? Okay, All Right. So we've got six people. We're going to find Leo. Okay, Dante, you look under yours. Is Leo there? No! Okay, who wants to go next? Who Chloe, okay. Is Leo here? No! Okay, Ben, is Leo there? No! Okay, Isaac? No! No. Okay, Marcel, is Leo there? Yes yeah! All right, okay, bring Leo to me. Scott, I'm afraid uh, there's no question about yours. <laughs> no, no, oh yeah. How disappointing. Uh, okay, thank you all. You can sit down <laughs> All right, so we rescue Leo. I'm going to make sure he's safe now. Here he goes, under here again. All right. <laughs> all do, right here. Okay. So, a uh, fun little game to start off with. Um, And I I started off with this little game because it illustrates the process of discovery, okay? (laughs) Trying various things and uh, getting it wrong sometimes. Um, And uh, you rule out options until you find the right answer. And I think from time to time, God plays this game with his people, right? Uh, In order to teach them something. Um, So I think he played it with Adam in the garden when he showed him all of the animals, one by one, and said, here Adam, here's another animal, name this one. Uh, and, and little by little, Adam realized none of these animals was a fitting mate for him, right? So that was a process of discovery. And I think that God played it with Elijah after he defeated the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, if you remember. So Elijah was running, from his, running for his life from uh, wicked King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, And he ran down south as far as Mount Sinai and hid there in a cave. And God met him. And here's what it says in 1 Kings 19, verse 11. Uh, God said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke into pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind an earthquake... But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. So they've done three of these parts, haven't they? They've uh, no, not in the earthquake. No, not in the wind. No, not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a still, small voice. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. There's Leo the leopard, there it is. Uh, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave, and then God spoke to him, right? So it's this little process that's, that God's been through already in the past with Elijah. Um, and uh, he does it so that we uh, learn the truth through a process of discovery. Um, so there's always a point to God's little games. Uh, and I think the same thing is true here. Uh, in 2 Kings chapter 2. So that's what we're looking at today. Page 307. It's a good time to look up 2 Kings chapter 2. Uh, this is the story where Elijah is taken up to heaven in the whirlwind. Um, and this is just a great story. <laughs> me. This is one of the Bible's most exciting stories. Um, and it's great. It's told in such an entertaining way because it starts with the ending, right? The very first verse in 2 Kings chapter 2 is, now. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, and you're like, wait, what? (laughs) The Bible does nothing at all to prepare you that that's going to happen. It just says it. Uh, It comes out of the clear blue sky. But okay, a guy's about to be taken up to heaven by a whirlwind. I'm listening. Um, And then as this little story goes on, it's like they're telling some kind of joke, isn't it? It's, It's very repetitive. And it has three cycles. So first Elijah is going to say to his uh, servant, Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has <laughs> called me to the next place. Um, and that, we find that same formula in verses 2, 4, and 6. And then his disciple, Elisha, replies, No way! As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. He says exactly the same thing three times. Um, so each time the two of them go off together... And the only thing that happens in the location they go to is that they're met by these slightly annoying sons of the prophets. And all the sons of the prophets say the same thing. They all say, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? So they say it in verse 3, and then they say it again in verse 5, and the third time it's left out. There's just 50 of them standing there silently. But we know what they're thinking. (laughs) Um, and every time they say it, Elisha replies in the same way. He says, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. <laughs> Which is not a very polite way to speak to prophets who are delivering God's word. And, uh, and the message they give clearly is God's word. Because all the prophets said the same thing. And Elisha believes them. And then, of course, it happens. Um, but even though it was God's message, it was God's word, Elisha really didn't want to hear it. Right? He told them to be quiet. Uh, So he was in some kind of denial about what was about to happen. Uh, God's word didn't sound at all like good news to him. Because he loved his master, and the message that Elijah would be leaving soon was terrible news. Uh, But it is a great story. Uh, The build-up to Elijah's departure is amazing. The story has a fabulous structure. Uh, It sucks you in and fixes your attention on what's about to happen. It's like a joke acted out in real time by a whole cast of real people. And the punchline is that God's word comes true, and the great prophet Elijah is carried up to heaven in a whirlwind, and then there's a bunch of chariots of fire as well. Um, So Elijah became only the second man in history who didn't have to die. Uh, And so far there have only been two. Uh, The first was Enoch, seventh from Adam, uh, in Genesis 5, verse 24. Uh, the Bible doesn't say very much about him. I'm hoping to be the third one, but uh, I'm not sure the chances are very good. Um, so uh, Elijah was number two, and this is a really big deal. Uh, the departure of Elijah was a dramatic, miraculous, important event. And God had a little bit of fun with it. Uh, he set up this little farewell tour of Israel uh, with all these prophets. But as God plays this little farewell tour game, uh, unsurprisingly, he wanted to teach them something uh, too. So uh, God does have a great sense of fun, but he doesn't just play games for no reason. There's always a purpose and a lesson in them. Uh, and here I think what God wanted to do with his prophets is uh, that Elijah would end his ministry and Elisha would start his with a strong sense of hope. Okay? They needed to have hope in the future, um, as they made this transition. They both needed a really good reason for hope. So they were prophets, and, uh, and in this period of Israel's history, in the period of the kings, a prophet's main job was to serve the king, right? Keep the king on the right path. That's what a prophet was really there for. Um, and so most of what we find in the writing prophets in the Old Testament is addressing kings, or talking about kings, or what the kingdom is doing. Uh, It's it's very much centered in in the king's court. So Elijah and Elisha were trying to uh, tell the kings to live the Lord's way. How was that going for them? (laughs) Terribly, right? It couldn't have been worse. Uh, So Elijah and Elisha were prophets to the northern kingdom after the kingdom was divided. So you remember that the northern kingdom was called Israel, and it was divided from the southern kingdom of Judah, right? So the kingdom split at this point. And Elijah and Elisha were prophets to the northern kingdom of Israel, and their job was to speak God's word to the king there, and to keep him in line with God's will. And how was that going? It really couldn't have been worse. Not a single king in the northern kingdom followed God. Not one. Nineteen kings. Nineteen evil kings. All right? Uh, They were all evil. They all set up shrines to false gods all over the place. They employed hundreds of prophets of Baal. They filled the land with idolatry and witchcraft. Um, So in Elijah's ministry, here are the last three things that the Lord called him to do. Right? Just for example, the last three things he did on earth. He went to Mount Carmel and single-handedly did battle with 400 prophets of Baal. Okay, number three. The second last thing he did he had to go and tell King Ahab that he was going to die for stealing Naboth's vineyard, right? Mm-hmm. And then the last thing he did was he went to Ahab's successor, King Ahaziah, and he had to tell him that because uh, he went to inquire of Baalzebub about his injuries, he was going to die from his injuries, All right? Great. That sounds like a real rewarding ministry. (laughs) Telling one wicked king after another the word of God and then having him not only refuse to repent, but then also try to kill you. Elijah had a really good reason to be depressed and to feel what good can come to a country under such bad leaders. Do we have any cause for hope? And I think that's what this final tour is about. It's God giving them both a really good reason for hope. And uh, it comes about through the places that he takes them to. Okay, so it all starts in this place called Gilgal. Uh, Gilgal is where they start in verse 1. Uh, and I think we should include it as part of the farewell tour. Uh, because by beginning the uh, by the beginning of this story in 2 Kings uh, chapter 2, both Elijah and Elisha already know that it's Elijah's last day on earth. Do you notice that? It doesn't come as a surprise to either of them in this story. So they already know it at the beginning of the story. Um, and then there's no other reason given in, in Second Kings for them to be in Gilgal at all, um, except that it was the first stop on their farewell tour. So uh, they start in Gilgal, and what is the historical significance of Gilgal? Major Old Testament points, if you know this. Uh, okay, Gilgal was the first place that Joshua and the people made camp after they'd entered the Promised Land. Okay, so between when they crossed the Jordan into the Promised Land and when they took the city of Jericho, they made camp at Gilgal. And what happened there? The whole party of men was circumcised um, in repeating the covenant uh, that they made with God. Uh, This is all in Joshua chapter 5. And so the name of the place had a meaning in Israel's history. The word Gilgal comes from the Hebrew word that means to roll. And uh, God said to Joshua in Joshua 5 verse 9, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Okay? One thing you learn, especially if you take a trip to Israel, is that places have memories. All right? You go to a place, and, like, the whole historical store of what's there is, like, in that place. Uh, So God was saying to his two prophets, by bringing them to Gilgal, you remember it, and I remember it. There was once a godly leader in this land. And my people followed me. But then <coughs> this isn't the place where you come <coughs> to me. It's not your God. Uh, so the next stop was Bethel. That's in verse 2. Uh, the Lord calls them to go to Bethel. Does anyone know what Bethel means in Hebrew? Beit El. Uh, Beit, anyone? Bet. House. El. What's El in Hebrew? God. Yeah. So Bethel is the house of God. And does anyone remember how it got that name? It got that name because Jacob named it. So Abraham's grandson, Jacob, uh, in the story of Jacob's ladder in Genesis 28. So Jacob had a dream about a stairway to heaven. Uh, Made a very good Led Zeppelin song. Um, (laughs) So uh, back when the only part of the whole country that Abraham's family owned was this small cemetery where Abraham and Sarah were buried, their grandson Jacob was traveling through the land, um, and he lay down to sleep using a big rock as a pillow. I've always loved that story. I'm sure that was a real comfortable night. Um, And so he lay there, and in the night he dreamed that heaven was opened, and he saw a ladder coming down, stretching from heaven to earth. And angels were going up and down on the ladder. And while the angels were going up and down, Jacob heard God in his dreams speaking to him, and God repeated the promises uh, to Jacob that God had made to Abraham. So, uh, so then when Jacob woke up, he was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God! And this is the gate of heaven! That's exactly how he said it. Um... <laughs> And that's how Bethel got its name, House of God. And the very first man-made structure that was there was Jacob's pillow, picked up and stood on end and made into an altar to God, right? Um, So uh, God was saying to his prophets by bringing them to Bethel, you remember it, and I remember it. This is the man, Israel, after whom your whole kingdom is named, the father of the 12 tribes, a good leader, Am I going to forget him or the promises that I made to him? And so this was uh, stop two on the tour. And Bethel would have been the perfect place to go up to heaven in a whirlwind. Heaven's gate is right there. Uh, But no, it wasn't the right place. No Leo the leopard. Um, So the Lord led them on to Jericho. Uh, And you've probably heard about Jericho. Jericho was the first city that Joshua's army conquered in the Promised Land, in that very famous story when the walls came a-tumbling down. And uh, the people learned that God was with them, and they could do anything. So uh, I was in Jericho about a month ago. I think we have a picture of it. There it is. It's Jericho. Um, it's the lowest city on earth in terms of elevation, and it was really hot. Um, so here's, here's the view today from the city looking due east, Uh, across the Jordan River as it flows into the Dead Sea. Um, And in the distance, those hills, those misty hills, are part of the modern country of Jordan, uh, but it used to be Ammonite territory uh, back when uh, Elijah and Elisha were there. Um, So if we could look at that photograph and spin it back in time, (coughs) uh, we could watch the chariots of fire coming down for Elijah somewhere on that far bank right there. Um, so they were in Jericho um, which I'm sure didn't look as green then as it does now um, and, uh, and God was saying to them by bringing them here to Jericho you remember what happened here you remember it and I remember it the people had a godly leader they followed me and they were unconquerable do you remember that? but still this wasn't the place where Elijah would launch into heaven so they went on And the last stop was down to the Jordan River. And when they got down to the Jordan, verse 8 of our passage says this, Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. Right? And that's a really awesome miracle. But of course, it's also a miracle that's historically significant. This doesn't come out of nowhere because it's exactly the way Joshua first led the people into the promised land. This was the way they came in. This was the entrance portal. And now Elijah and Elisha are leaving in the same way. Exeunt. Stage left. I've always wanted to find a way to use the word exeunt in the sermon. (laughs) Um, But the water party miracle isn't quite the same. Here, as when Joshua did it it's even better right? because if you remember when Joshua parted the water he had the Ark of the Covenant with him and what he did is he put the Ark first in procession with priests carrying it and it was the moment that the priest's feet touched the water that the water parted and allowed the whole people to go over so they had the Ark right there and Elijah did it with no Ark he did the same miracle with just his rolled up cloak what does it mean? It means that Elijah was a mighty prophet and the presence of God was with him in power. The Holy Spirit was inside him. So this miracle is a final vindication of his prophetic ministry. He's been a strong and godly leader in the mold of Joshua, even though everything went wrong during Elijah's time. Everything. Elijah himself was a faithful and mighty servant of God. Verse 9 goes on. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. So a little bit like we saw with Solomon last week, Elisha was invited to ask for what he wanted. Ask anything. Um, And just like Solomon, Elisha asked wisely. So Solomon asked for uh, wisdom from God, and Elisha asked for God's Holy Spirit to fill him, just like the Spirit had filled his master. And as we read it, we think he's asking for twice as much as Elijah had, right? Let, Let a double portion be on me. That's actually not what he's asking. He's asking for the inheritance of the firstborn. Okay, so here's how inheritance law worked in ancient Israel. So if I'm an ancient Israelite, I have two children, Benjamin and Miriam. Um, and when I died, I would have divided uh, my, uh, my estate, such as it is, um, <laughs> with, uh, with my two children. But I wouldn't have divided it equally. Okay, I would have divided it into three parts, and Benjamin would have received two of them, uh, and Miriam would have received one, because Benjamin is my firstborn. And that was the rule, however many children you had. Um, so, uh, So the firstborn then got a double portion, right? That's what a double portion is. And that's what Elisha was asking for from his master. So what he's saying is, let me be your spiritual heir, your firstborn son who takes over the family business from you. So when you think about it, that's such a brave thing for him to ask for. It's a lovely thing and a very brave thing. Because Elisha had seen what it meant to be a prophet in the northern kingdom. That is not a sweet gig. Um, but the people then needed a godly leader. And he was willing to step up and step into that role. And his request was granted. So this finally was the right place. Chariots of fire came down from heaven and a whirlwind came and uh, snatched up Elijah, as the Lord had said, this is where Leo the Lion was hiding, um, and uh, this, this was the right place. So it was the other side, the far bank of the Jordan, was the place where it was right, the Lord decided it was right to take his great prophet. So this last place gave them their last and most important reason for hope. Okay? So Elijah was taken up after he had repeated the miracle that first brought the people into the promised land. Um, and that was the day that they received the whole country as a gift from God, right? In accordance with God's promise to Abraham, he promised, I'll give you a land. That was the day that they received that gift. Um, and it was part of God saving his people, and it's marked by the same kind of miracle. So God saved his people out of Egypt by bringing them through the Red Sea, and the waters parted. And then he finished the job by bringing them into the promised land when the Jordan River parted. So what this whole message says is that giving them this land was his idea all along. From the beginning, for thousands of years, this has been his plan. And he did it. He gave this gift. Is he going to take it back? Is he going to let this gift fall? God is mighty to save, and surely he would not take back his own gift. So this is the center of their hope. This is where Elijah was taken, and it's Elisha saw him leave. And when Elisha saw him leave, he tore his clothes in grief. Then he picked up the cloak of Elijah, his mantle, and he went back to the Jordan River. And there he repeated the great miracle his master had done to cross back over the Jordan and re-enter the land as its prophet to the northern kingdom. And the sons of the prophets who saw it recognized that the mantle of God's leadership was on Elisha now, and they bowed to him. So Elisha had become the spiritual heir of Elijah. That's what's happened in this story. And it's a depressing job, but he, uh, he, he received that mantle with a lot of hope because of this final tour that God took him on of this land. So what are we to learn from all of this? I've got three little things. Um, The first is that there's a message in the story about leadership, about leadership. We've heard about bad leaders and good leaders and what it means to be a leader. So um, the people of God have always needed strong and godly leadership, always, from the beginning. We flourish under good leaders and we go astray under bad leaders. So godly leadership is a precious gift of God, something to thank God for. So please pray for your leaders, support and encourage them. And then the other side of the coin is if you feel the spirit's nudge to take on the mantle of leadership yourself, whether that's at home or at work or in the church, then don't shrink back from it. The world and your work and the church and your home need godly leaders. And if God is calling you to do that, don't shrink back. Don't deny the people around you the leadership they need, that God wants to give them. And if you're afraid of it, then look at this story of Elisha. He knew the leadership mantle he was taking on when he asked for it. Um, And he took tremendous courage. So read his story and be encouraged by him. The second message of this passage is that God knows how to make his will known, doesn't he? A lot of us are seeking God's will right now. Uh, We all want to know what God wants for our lives and in this passage we see God moving his prophets to exactly where he wants them at the moment he wants them uh, there and teaching them exactly what he wants them to know. He's able to make his will known. How does he speak to these guys? He speaks to them in lots of different ways. He speaks to them directly the commands that he gives Elijah. He speaks to them indirectly, through the mouths of the sons of the prophets. He speaks to them through history, by repeating what he said and done before in the words that are recorded in Scripture. And he speaks to them through their own process of discovery. They learn about him as they follow him. There are lots of ways that God is able to make his will known. and He's still able to make full use of all these methods, of making his will known to us. So if we pay attention to him, we won't miss it. And then the third message is a message of hope. Elijah's hope in God wasn't disappointed. It wasn't disappointed. So think about his life. Elijah lived every single day of his life under an evil king. His whole ministry was trying to lead kings. And every day of his life, he woke up under an evil king. Every day. And he had to learn to serve God faithfully while every stroke he swam was against the current. And all the while, he had to watch as year by year, his beloved country slowly fell apart. And here we see him at the end, taken away, and there's still an evil king on the throne of the northern kingdom. But that wasn't the end of the story for Elijah. This isn't our last glimpse of him in the Bible, is it? Because he came back. He came back in the New Testament. One last visit from heaven. When he came down to meet Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He came back in a similar way to the way he went. And so there was a day, finally, when Elijah set foot in the land he loved and served a good king. Served its true king. So in the end, his hope was not disappointed. And neither will our hope be disappointed if we remain faithful to the one who calls us. Amen. Amen.